I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy from the Kindergarten Kiosk Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay. As one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals. NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage, stephenmoletto.com, find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way. And if you do that, if you buy something, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission and I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. Leslie Coppolo is a clinical social worker, teacher, and author who lives in New York City. She is a director of emotionally responsive practice at Bank Street College, founder of Networks for Schools at Heal, and a psychotherapist in private practice. Leslie is author of many books, but today we're going to focus on Leslie's newest book, Lila in the Land of the Littles, a story for children in the time of COVID. Lots to learn today. You're going to love this. It's an incredible book, perfect for the time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And by the way, before you go... It would be so cool if you went into uh, my website, stephenmoletto.com slash reviews and rate and review the podcast. Could you do that for me? What do you think? That would be awesome. Enjoy the show. You know, a couple of years ago, my uh, my wedding band started having problems. And I've had it for 34 years, and uh, it started breaking at, at the backside of it. And we got it fixed a couple of different times. And then eventually, not too long ago, one of those that backside just fell out and it couldn't be fixed any longer. And I'm like, this is crazy. I, you know, I shouldn't have to deal with this. And, and so anyway, then a friend told me about, uh, Boone titanium rings and, uh, which is at boonrings.com, And they have this incredible selection of titanium rings. And, and, uh, I now have a titanium ring as my wedding band. What's really cool is like it's an engraved ring that has uh, these cool car pistons on it and some stars, and and the, I could have chosen from any kind of different stand, uh, styles, as well as they have all these other different types of rings, like uh, inlays that have meteorite, wood, acrylic, stone, and things like that. They also make uh, carved rings and, and a, just a, an assortment of other rings that uh, are just pretty amazing. They also make pendants and cufflinks and earrings, and as well as a couple different types of tools. Um, I got to tell something it's really cool because this ring's not going to break <laughs> and uh they, they'll make you happy and uh just as a note uh teaching learning leading k-12 um they've become an affiliate sponsor for us and so if you were to use our code which is capital t capital l capital l capital k the number 12 and uh, use that at checkout you get 10 percent off your ring and uh teaching learning leading k-12 gets a commission i think you're going to love their rings i know i'd love mine <laughs>
are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Leslie Coppolo is a clinical social worker, teacher, and author who lives in New York City. She is the director of emotionally responsive practice at Bank Street College, founder of Networks for Schools at Heal, and a psychotherapist in private private practice. Leslie is the author of several books, including Where Ragdolls Hide Their Faces, The Way Home, Unsmiling Faces, How Preschools Can Heal, Creating Schools That Heal, Bears, Bears Everywhere, Supporting Children's Emotional Health in the Classroom, Tanya and the Tobo Man, Politics Aside, Are Children and Their Teachers in Score-Driven Times, and her newest release, Emotionally Responsive Practice, A Path for Schools That Heal. Today, we're going to focus on Leslie's newest book, which is a children's book called Lila in the Land of the Littles, a story for children in the time of COVID. Leslie, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, Steve. Well, I'm glad that you're here and glad that you're able to join us. And uh, uh, let's start here, Leslie. In in your bio, I read that you're a psychotherapist. Could you talk about becoming a psychotherapist? I mean, did you always have an interest in the field or where did your inspiration come from to pursue this? Well, I always had an interest in working with children. I was one of those kids that raised their hand in the sixth grade to volunteer in the kindergarten. (laughs) It all started there and then it rippled outward um, and inward in this case of doing child therapy. Um, My first job out of graduate school was in a Head Start program that had um, a psychiatrist who would supervise staff to do individual work with children. And my sort of shift from early childhood into the therapeutic um, world started there. Gotcha, very cool. I, it's kind of neat finding out how people get their start. Sometimes it's uh, you know because they had a parent who was in the field. Sometimes it's because they knew somebody. Sometimes it's just, it just happens. And, uh, and sometimes it happens totally by random accident <laughs> type thing, which is kind of cool. So appreciate it. Uh, also, you're the director of Emotionally Responsive Practice at Bank Street College. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do? What we do is collaborate with public schools, Head Start programs, early Head Start programs, um, some independent school programs, any entity that wants to support the emotional well-being of children and teachers and parents in school settings. So we provide all kinds of different services, like professional development, teacher support groups, in-classroom consultation, um, writing therapeutic curriculum. We have a lot of different hats that we can wear. Very cool. So how how long have you been uh, working with this in this capacity? How long have you been there? Uh, About 23 years. Oh, nice. Very nice. Very cool. So do you work with schools all over? I mean, when you talk about partnerships, you work with them all over? Well, we work mainly in the New York City area, but sometimes we collaborate with schools in the tri-state area. Sometimes people get grants who are far away and engage us as a partner in the grant and we'll send people up there or down there wherever they are um, to, um, to give a, an ongoing um, voice for supporting the emotional well-being of children. What, we, what we've learned over the years is that you can do a professional development session that's very powerful and everybody goes, 
oh, and then they go back and do whatever they did before because <laughs> um, one time doesn't work when you're talking about child development and emotional health. We need sort of an ongoing and incremental um, way of working. I got you. Very cool. So, uh, well, thank you. I, you know, let's let's shift to your children's book, Lila in the Land of the Littles. Here's a brief description. Lila uses her relationships with her mom and her best friend, Jasmine, to inspire her to invent a creative solution to her boredom and frustration. Children will identify with Lila and Jasmine as they face the challenges of our time using imagination and play to feel safe and powerful. Could you talk about why you wrote Lila in the Land of the Littles? I wrote the book because I hear so many stories in my capacity, um, both as a therapist, virtual at the moment, and um, the director of a program that works with a lot of schools and directors and principals and teachers. So many stories about how children were feeling um, during this time and, and heard from children that I work with about it. And everyone has been so isolated, so frustrated, so overwhelmed and underwhelmed simultaneously, depending on if you're a child or an adult, that I felt like I want to write something that reflects what I'm hearing. I did see some children's books about wearing masks and about washing hands and things like that, but I wanted to write something that reflected how it felt to be little in this time. That's cool, and I and I I like the story, and I and I'm going to get into this in just a minute. But I mean, a big part of what I like about the story is that it's, in, you know, I I hope I'm not stepping out of bounds here, but in this world, we we kids are spending a lot of time in front of screens. <laughs> And what's really cool is your story is encouraging imagination and play. And that's so cool. We're in, I know we're going to get into it in just a little bit, but I just got to tell you, I love that. I, when I started reading it, I went, this is neat because this is, you know, something that a lot of times the kids are missing out on. So, you know, what? Uh, like I said, the story is awesome. It's written in a way that kids and adults will want to uh, know more about Lila and what she'll do. Uh, could you talk about how you developed the story? Hmm, how I developed this story. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say two things. One is that, so my way of staying sane during the pandemic has been to do collage because I love to do artistic things and I love to write. So I decided to put those two together and I invented Lila. And when I write, Usually the story takes a life of its own. No, I make something and then I know what she's going to do you know, or it sort of unfolds. Um, and because I was illustrating also, the illustration was a big part of the process for me. That's very cool. And I got to tell you, it's, what's neat is that, you know, so when I, when I started reading, I just, I started reading, I saw your name on the book and I started reading and, and then I, I thought it was really cool. The illustrations that were there. So I'm like, I wonder who did this. And I looked and I said, it was you. And I said, oh, now that's cool. And so that's even neater to hear that you like doing collages because it comes through. I mean, it's, it, it's really nice. And that, you know, it, it uh, lends itself to the idea almost of, uh, of an animation that would, but yeah, you could, you could see making a, a movie out of it because it's like, I, I mean, a little, 
with the the collage moving and stuff like that, I guess is my point. That's what was going through my head. So interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but that's interesting. So, so I got to ask you, I mean, uh, um, was there a choice? I mean, did you, and since you do collages and stuff like this, so was there a, a, did you choose on purpose the materials that you used? I have an assortment of things in the house um, for times that I have, mostly I do stuff on vacation because it's too hard to figure out how to fit in the kind of artwork I like to do, but being home like 24 seven seemed like a good time. So I have various supplies around and I just used what I had. That's awesome. Well, and that, that fits even better with the story, which is even, I mean, that's cool. Cause that fits right with the story. So I love that. The parallel process, right? right that's <laughs> awesome. Lila is my little self. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, well, I was going to ask you that at some point, if Lila is based on anybody that you knew or something like that. And, but uh, I do have to tell you that uh, before you answer that question, I got to, it, it's really neat because the colors and the, the choices and the different materials and things that you use, I mean, it's just, it's very nice and it makes the story come alive and you see the images without it being, you know, it also lets your imagination work also, I guess is my point. Yes. I like that. So that's cool. So that's so all that was, uh, you know, a big part of what you're, you're thinking there, which is cool. For me, play and imagination and creativity is what allows children to stay mentally healthy. We take that away, then kids are in a really bad um, place during traumatic times because the way we talk as grownups about things that are going on, they need to play about things that are going on to make emotional sense of those things, to integrate them. Um, so I wanted Lila to do that. Excellent. Well, it comes through loud and clear. And uh, she's very real and as well as Jasmine and just the whole situation. I, that's what I like. I, I, one of the things I really like about it is that it just, it all feels like you, you can't be a parent and read this or a child and, and or a teacher and not go, yeah, this is cool because I think I've experienced this or I've been part of something like this and I wish I'd had this solution, you know. <laughs> very cool. So, uh so could you talk about, let's, let's use the story to talk about uh, um, some of the aspects where you're going with this. I mean, could you talk about how children react to change and loss? So children react to change and loss typically by regressing. And that can be scary for parents and teachers. And it's completely developmentally normal. It's sort of what they do. Things are overwhelming. Things are getting undone. Things are, grownups are you know, not in a good place. Let me go back to my younger self and <laughs> regather before I try to go forward. It's kind of, it's, it's actually a, a healthy thing and it's what they do. And as long as we have faith in development and we don't go nuts over it, they know how to find their way back. If grownups get too anxious about it, like, oh my God, how is he going to go to school if he's acting like, you know, <laughs> then they're not so sure. Then they get anxious about it also. I got to tell you, I wish I could uh, have you, you know, that, just that segment right there. And if I could go back a few years in time when I was a high school principal, I would have loved to have played that. 
over the PA system multiple times because that's because <laughs> that is so true. I mean, if if the adults they know in their lives are calm and are un- understand, you know, that things are a little different and such, then I, I think the kids approach it differently. Me too. Very cool. Yeah. Um, why is it important for a, a, a parent to understand a little bit about child development uh, so they can support the child's mental health? I think that if you understand about child development, you're less likely to become anxious when children do the things that they do, <laughs> you know? So for example, if a kid regresses in, in a time of change, you might not know that that's what they do. So you might feel like you have to pressure them or you have to do something that makes it paradoxically less less easy for a kid to go forward. So knowing the different, it's kind of like if you have a two-year-old and your two-year-old says, no, mine, every five minutes. If you know development, you go, oh, two-year-old, you're just, just what kids are supposed to do. This is like what you do in your life when you're two. But if you don't know development, you might say, oh my goodness, what's, you know, what's the matter? My lovely compliant baby is suddenly being impossible and you might get worried. So knowing can really be helpful. And I like that because it's, you know, it's, it, it, cause I've never really thought about it. I, I mean, cause one of the things that I've, I've always kind of preached about, I've preached, I don't know if that's a great choice of words, but you know, that I've, that I've talked about with, with adults when we work with kids is understanding um, a little bit about, you know, understanding more than just a little bit, understanding child development is important. Uh, you know, if, when you're working with kids, whether you're a parent or whether you're a counselor, whether you're a teacher or you know, administrator, whatever your role is that you're working with the, uh, with kids, um, you know, coaching sports and things like this. I mean, being an instructor in a music program, whatever it's understanding a little bit about what they're doing. It's only going to, uh, help you interact with them. I, I, I guess just to understand them, um, a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. That's a big part of, um, my Bank Street program, ERP is the acronym, Emotionally Responsive Practice, is teaching people a deep understanding of child development and looking through the lens of development and then looking through the lens of life experience, what's happening and how do those two things interplay. That's awesome. And so I got to flip it just a little bit because just like you said, I heard you saying a little bit there a minute ago about parents worrying and such that they don't really understand. If they do understand, it's got to be helpful not only for them on helping their child's development, but it's got to be helpful for them in their own mental, you know, protecting their own mental health, I would think. I think so, too. I mean, parenting during this time has been so impossible for so many people. You're trying to work at home with your kids running around or having to be on a screen, which doesn't make sense half the time for them. And you have to be the same person and it's almost impossible to do that. So, you know, it's easy to feel inadequate in the face of impossible challenge. And of course, parents are doing their best. Everybody's doing their best um, to get through this. But sometimes it's helpful if you have a perspective outside. Because if you're not in the field, if you didn't happen to take child development in graduate school or something, or if you, like, how would you know? It's your kids that are your world. You might not have a bigger perspective and it can feel really 
hard when they're struggling. And of course, everyone is right now. So very much so. And it's it's funny because you know, my my kids are uh, in the work world now and all that sort of stuff. And it's so they're, you know, they're they got their own places to live and such. And it's funny, but I have neighbors who have young kids. And so, and they're used to working out of the home because all their world has always been out of the home working and having their, you know, three and four kids. And you see once in a while, you, you see this, either the parent wandering outside and you know, what's going on there. It's got, I gotta get out. I gotta get out. Or, or the kids being go outside, you know, right. Right. If you live in New York City, you can't do either one of those things very easily unless both parents are in the house. So. Yeah, that would be a little different, a little challenging, I would think. So uh, especially, uh, you know, where, where do you go if you're living in an apartment or, uh, or townhouse type environment or something like that? Take a walk, you go to the park. Um, if you have someone else to be with your kids, there's places you can go. But... <laughs> More likely, you're taking your kids along. <laughs> uh, nice, nice. So, so just going back to that, I would think that understanding that what your children are doing and such like that, that it's it's okay, definitely has got to impact until <laughs> they're even locked inside um, a lot, and everybody's might be getting a little tired of each other's company. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, I'd say so. So, could you talk about? And this is what I, I was kind of pulling you back from talking about it just a few minutes ago, because it's such a cool topic. I want to make sure we talk about it on its own, but could you talk about the importance of play and helping kids understand issues and challenges of life? So, okay. I think I said a little bit about how grownups talk when they have things that are hard to make sense of, right? They talk to each other, talk to somebody, Kids can talk and kids who, you know, really smart kids, even kids who are like very verbal can talk a blue streak, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they've integrated the emotional part of what's happening. Um, so to integrate it, which I mean, make emotional sense, sort of weave it in with the rest of you, <laughs> play is much more powerful than language for children because they create, they're sort of kids who can create make-believe um, and can create metaphor to hold intense and complicated feelings, can really stay above water. They're less likely to be emotionally flooded in a way that they can't sort out because they have a place to put it outside of themselves, but right here that they can hold in their hand and they can make things happen. Um, so Lila, of course, makes, makes something happen. She makes, um, she makes the land of the littles safe from Corona because she puts a poisonous ingredient in the flowers that surround the land and they smell sweet, but they're poisonous to the coronavirus. So something giant and overwhelming that we can't manage is in the life of these little kids and they have to figure it out. So she uses her make-believe play to make it okay for the littles who live in her land 
And that makes her have a sense of agency and makes her feel hopeful, makes her feel powerful. And um, that's all play. You can't, doing stuff on computer doesn't have the same uh, result, for, especially for young children. Oh, you're right. I mean, it's especially if the, you know, a lot of times the things that you do online or, you know, computer related um, tend to, you know, they show you what it looks like. They show you what it sounds like. They, you know, or what it's the world that it's in happens. But when a child's imagination is going, you know, their own world, like you, you said with Lila, she creates this world where she's got this poison to protect against the virus. And, and so then the other parts can happen. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really cool is like, you know, her mom gives her the buttons and uh, at first she's not sure what to do with them. And then that becomes part of that world. And it's so cool. Cause I, I, you know, as a, as a kid, I, one of the things I remember as a kid that I used to, I was a big fan of some of these shows, everything I was watching reruns of, uh, I watched way too many reruns <laughs> as a kid, but I watched, I grew up on reruns of everything from, you know, the uh, Mickey mouse club. So I got to see the Hardy boys, mysteries um, <laughs> nice and uh i got to see uh um some of these things that came on sunday nights with disney that were these i think they were just made for two you know just for tv type things but they had this um boy who his job his job <laughs> i think i'm out right he's what he did was he he was all about uh he had this vivid imagination and there was always something going on in his town and people didn't really believe him because you know, he's has this vivid imagination. And so he would create things to try and help him solve the mystery as well as then he always, he tinkered with things. And there's always things like, you know, like a, a boxing glove that would come out of a closet that would punch the bad guy or something like this. And I always thought that was so cool. And so I used to tinker with things to try and make something like that work. Of course, mine never really worked, <laughs> but, and I didn't have all those great mysteries <laughs> to solve, but uh, you know, in my own uh, mind I was solving mysteries probably much to the driving my parents nuts but <laughs> um, but I, I think that's a big part of about what you're talking about here with if they're if they're allowed to play and create that imaginative you know, that imagination world the world of their imagination I guess is what I wanted to say can you can you talk about that just a little bit I mean just because sometimes people think play it just seems, simply means running around yeah no play is like what kids, what keeps kids mentally healthy. And the world seems to be intent on taking opportunities for play away these days. Maybe that's one, one very small gain from the pandemic is that nobody can go to after school programs like chess and ballet and the 10 million things that kids go to even when they're like three years old after school. They can't do that because it's not safe to do that. So they have to be at home. And maybe what they can do is play and create and be generative at their own level. And that really keeps kids from feeling overly anxious, from being depressed. It's, it's like a natural healing solution. That's awesome. Yeah. And just as a side note, I mean, it, as adults, we weren't able to do lots of the stuff that we normally did. And so over the years, I, I would do a little kayaking here, a little kayaking there and decided, you know, the amount of money I've spent renting kayaks, I might as well go ahead and buy one. And so my wife and I 
you know, bought kayaks and we've gone kayaking together and that cre- increased our outside play like that. And I, I haven't had a blast. I'm looking forward to it again this summer, even though I may, may not have to, because some of the things that I like are coming back, but it's, I, I, I'm already, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to put the boat back in the water. So nice. So I think it's kind of cool. I think, I think adults probably have experienced that as well. You know, one of the things I'd like you to talk about is, uh, is especially since creative arts seem to be something that you, you like to do also, can you talk a little bit about how creative arts can help a child in stressful times? Sort of a different kind of play, right? Because creative arts is, again, it comes from your head and your heart if you're doing open-ended artistic work. Um, you've got paper, you've got crayons, you've got markers, you've got scissors, you've got all kinds of stuff. And what comes of it is what's in you. You might not even know what you're gonna make, but little kids don't worry about that. They just do it. Grownups worry about that because I do that so often with teachers, lots and lots of, we have lots of workshops for teachers where um, we have them take creative materials and we give them an invitation to you know, create just basically some we're talking about some topics or like, well, what comes to mind and make it come to life. And people look at me like, oh, I can't believe she thinks I'm going to do this. <laughs> and um, they look at me and I, I say, don't worry about it. It'll just, it'll make itself. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, they've got all kinds of stuff going on here. It makes itself most of the time. Um, and it's really, it always is amazing to adults that that happened. Whereas kids are generally very uh, receptive and able to take, make something from nothing. That's um, a really good way of thinking about it. I like that. That's awesome. Because that is a big part. And you talk about being able to deal with, you know, everything from, the pandemic to, you know, loss to just any number of very stressful things that are going on just uh, not being able to hang out with their friends like Lila couldn't. Yeah. You don't want to leave kids all alone with big things because isolation over time is a risk factor for mental health. So anything that can diminish emotional isolation or social isolation can offer protective um, value, you know, can balance um, when things are hard. And this is this paradoxical time where to stay physically healthy, you have to stay apart. But to stay mentally healthy, you have to stay connected. (laughs) So it's this exact opposite prescription um, for kids and grownups, and it's hard. And it's important for parents to offer children lots of ways to be expressive about what it's like for them during this time. As just, you know, you think about it, something you said was, you know, rather than leave them isolated with their thoughts, giving them something to kind of to do and, you know, where they get creative and they make it happen. And, you know, and it is funny when you put uh, my favorite thing is to watch at a workshop when teachers for whatever reason, they're, they're expected to kind of put something together. You always have the ones that just right away, they're, they're working on it. And then you have others, oh, all right, I don't want to do this, you know, and then, and then you have the middle of the road and 
And, but eventually most of them, as they start working together on whatever it is they're making and stuff, they start having fun <laughs> and their imagination runs with it. Whereas, like you said, I mean, kids, they seem to kind of, kind of take to that right away. It's like, oh, cool. You know, I get to use scissors and glue. Right, exactly. Unless there's a device around. <laughs> right, right. It's competing. And one of the things that, one of the good things, paradoxically good things in Lila's story is that she had big brothers and sisters who had to do schoolwork because they were the age where, and everybody was using all the devices. So she was kind of like last on the totem pole for that, um, which allowed her to do other things. Which is really cool. And by the way, there's, that's something that made me laugh out loud was she was talking about, I, uh, one of her siblings was always, um, always looking at the phone or something. I forget which. <laughs> Wear earphones, I yes. think. Yes. Right. <laughs> and I thought that made me laugh out loud. I thought that was cool. <laughs> very real, very real. And especially from a kid's perspective. <laughs> um, so cool. Uh, Leslie, before we close, uh, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Okay. So there's a number of ways they could um, go to Bank Street's website, bankstreet.edu and put in emotionally responsive practice into the search and they would find my project there. They could go to um, Amazon to get Lila in the Land of the Littles. I actually self-published that book because I wanted it to be available right away since it's time sensitive. Um, and there's a about the author um, um, thing there. Um, you could email me. Um, probably the easiest email address to say on a podcast would be lcoplo at bankstreet.edu. More, but that's probably enough. That works. I will make sure those links are in the show notes and uh, so easy for them to find. Okay. And, uh, and I got to ask this question because I got two more questions, but I got I got another Lila question I want to ask. Okay. So, so are you going to have some further adventures? Are you going to yeah. have? I'm just finished. I have like one more thing to do with the illustrations. So, the next book is about Lila's friend, Jasmine, um, because Lila gave her some of the materials. And so the next book is about what Jasmine does with those. Very cool, very cool. So you gotta let me know when it, it's coming out. You gotta, yeah. we'll, we'll talk again and we can uh, put some out there and uh, that's awesome. So the, uh, it, cause it, I gotta tell you, it's, you know, Great. for the listeners, when they, when you, uh, reading uh, Lila, um, you know, you get to the end and it's kind of like, this would be cool as a series. So. Uh, and that's what I thought. <laughs> nice. Nice. Very good. Well, I wish you luck with that. Uh, Leslie, uh, here, here's the, here's the last two questions I got for you. And they go like this. Okay. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? So do you mean me personally or do you, okay. Yes. You personally. <laughs> That's an interesting question to ask me right now. I've been asking myself that question. Um, I, I think my solution is similar to the one that I give to children and teachers and parents. So the writing and illustrating is really, was really my solution to staying sane during this time because nothing that I usually do could I do <laughs> and I've been doing everything that I do but virtually which drives me insane like 
hate tech. It never works. Things go wrong. I have no idea how to fix it. It's extremely frustrating to me. So I end up having, so I, when I was working on Lila and now that I'm working on Jasmine, I'm in my world of no tech, <laughs> no Zoom, just, just stuff and, and me and my kitties and you know, um, my daughter's also big. So she's already uh, out of the house. Um, but she comes by a lot. But so it, it's helped me have some balance um, in a time that I found extremely frustrating. That's excellent. And that's excellent thoughts, because that's 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 why I asked the question. I mean, we've got so many people who, you know, especially listeners who like to hear how other people deal with it, because there's so much going on in our worlds that sometimes we, you know, you just feel like you want to quit. And so how did, how did people stop from quitting? I guess is, <laughs> is really what I'm asking. So it's cool. So uh, thank you. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? I do. Um, I might even have more than one, but I have one that I'll tell you about. So um, my third grade teacher, Mrs. Singer, um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, in a suburb of Cleveland. Mrs. Singer is from New York and went to Bank Street. And she and her husband moved to Cleveland when I was in the third grade, which is, was a very difficult time in my life. My parents were getting divorced. President Kennedy got killed. It was like the worst of times. And I had this teacher who was creative and amazing and interested in knowing children and interested in having kids have a voice for what they were experiencing. And I stayed in touch with her. Um, she's no longer alive, but I stayed in touch with her throughout um, over time. And she has something to do with why I knew about Bank Street and why I, um, and my first graduate degree was early childhood special ed. And I went to, came to New York to go to Bank Street. That's awesome. Story. That's a very cool story. Cause I was going to ask you that question. I was going to say, so would that possibly have led that, you? To yes, it is. It was. Very nice. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing. That is neat. Uh, Leslie, thanks so much for talking with me today. Lila in the Land of the Littles, a story for children at a time of COVID is an awesome story that kids and adults will like. And, and I think they'll get where, you know, what the whole point is here. And because uh, Lila deals with the, the problematic world in her own way, thanks to the mom and uh, encouraging her imagination there, which is really neat. The, the story will help a parent and child see how they can make the best of the world as it is. You know, and I think the kids will want to reconnect with Lila and her friends as well. So good luck with making it a series. So that's awesome. So wishing you well on all you do. You as well. Thank you. Wouldn't it be great to have a day to renew, rethink, and reboot in these unprecedented times? That's the mission of the Impact Summit. This will be a moving forward next day implementable every learner can be successful kind of day. Register your team today at impacteducationsummit.com. The date, June 23rd. The organizer is Susie Pepper Rollins, three-time author and national presenter. Just head to impacteducationsummit.com for details. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here.
Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. Hey.